0: In this epic scene at the end of Return of the King, the third installment of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we see the heroes of the story, two hobbits, which is what the little people are called, named Frodo and Samwise, climbing up and nearing the entrance of Mount Doom. It's the only place on Middle Earth where the evil ring of power can be destroyed. Likewise, Frodo is the only person who can carry the ring to its destruction in the fires of Mount Doom. But as we saw in the clip, Frodo is totally spent and has nothing left in the tank to complete the mission. Even his memory of his past life is fading. He is so close, as we could see, and yet the short distance left, the remainder of their objective, seems impossible to complete. However, Frodo is not alone, but has beside him on this mission his loyal, hopeful, and unwavering friend, Samwise Gamgee. Sam knows that he is not able to carry the ring himself, but he is willing to do whatever else needs to be done, offering everything he has, even his life, to assist Frodo and help him in destroying the ring and finishing the mission yet to be accomplished. Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor of Spiritual Formation and Small Groups here at Rooftop. And we are beginning a new series this morning in the Book of Romans. I believe our last series... And this clip shows us an example of a mission that is not yet accomplished, and also a glimpse of what it is going to take to see that mission completed. In this case, one of the primary components for completing this mission is the presence of a faithful friend. Now, if you're new to Rooftop and you've not been here, we've been going through the Book of Romans in the New Testament, which we've been studying for some time. As I said, it's in the New Testament section of the Bible. It's written by an early church leader uh, named Paul, who was both a leader and a missionary. In that He was taking the message of Jesus out. He was planting churches in the region of the Roman Empire. It is a lengthy and yet amazing letter to the Christians who were living in Rome, hence the name Romans, it's to the Christians living in the city of Rome in the first century. As he, Paul, nears the end of the letter, he begins talking about what next? What do they do? And the role that he and they and the Christians of Rome have to play in order to finish the mission that God has given to them. Now what's very important to us is that this mission, Paul's mission, that you're going to talk about, it continues today. Did you know that you and I, as followers of Jesus, have a mission from God to complete? And has nothing to do with getting a band or any band back together. Sorry, Jason, if that's uh, offensive to you. I know you love the band. Before Jesus left the earth, after he had risen from the dead, he said some very important things multiple times in multiple ways. His disciple Matthew, uh, who wrote the first gospel of the New Testament, records him saying these words at the conclusion of his gospel before he ascended into heaven. was the author of the second gospel and was Peter's right hand man for many years he records Jesus saying similar words at the end of his gospel letter he records this and he Jesus said to them go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation and the brilliant physician Luke who wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts the account of the early church he recorded Jesus saying this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now these words were written and spoken a long time ago, but over the centuries the mission has continued. The gospel and the kingdom of God has gone forward from that starting point in Jerusalem, and today is still making its way to the ends of the earth. Sometimes have been better, sometimes have been worse. But the ends of the earth have still not been reached. How do we know this? Well, we know this through studies that have been done about people groups and languages that have yet to hear and have the gospel available to them. But Jesus speaks to this in the book of Matthew, when he says in chapter 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Why is the end not here? Why is the end not happened? The mission isn't done. It is not yet gone to the ends of the earth. What is the end that he's speaking of? Well, it is Jesus Christ, as the Bible recounts, returning in the same way he left, coming down to this broken and difficult world and making right all the wrongs, making perfect what has been corrupted and bringing peace at last to the entirety of this world and this creation. You and I here today, we have received the task of Finishing the mission. That's what, in part, Jesus is saying. He's saying, you, those of you who are still here, it's up to you to help finish the mission. And while we might not be traveling to the ends of the earth and going to some other country, the ends of the earth are also right here in St. Louis, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family. There are people whom God dearly loves, who he wants to reach with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I have a role to play. It really is the continuing mission. And Paul was very much committed to this. In fact, he was more committed to this objective than to any other objective in the world. It is the mission that Jesus Christ gave to him personally when he was traveling one day from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Damascus to persecute Christians, to attack this new Uprising of a, of a faith movement following this Jesus who had been crucified and myth had said he had risen again, Jesus encountered him personally and said, Paul, this will be the purpose of your life. To advance this mission. However, the mission is hard. And God has designed it in such a way that it requires all of us, his people working together as one, To pitch in and to contribute. We all have an opportunity, we all have a responsibility as followers of His. Moreover, as we do our part, figuring out what that is, stepping out in faith to see that happen, we are going to face many challenges and struggles. Just like anyone who endeavors to be part of something greater than themselves, something great in general, And yet we, like Frodo and Lord of the Rings, are not alone. You are not alone this morning in this desire for God to have you be a part of this. We have the presence of God as he promised in that verse in Matthew that I first read to us when he said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, more than anyone, is our Samwise. He is with us for the task before us. Not just that, though. We have friends, other friends beside us who are on this mission as well. Look in this room. Look around. Look who's sitting next to you. Seriously. We're on the team. This is our group. We are part of the team here at Rooftop to see this mission accomplished. I hope that encourages you. (laughs) And we have Paul who, though he died long ago, was also writing this letter to us here centuries later. That's the dynamic power of the Word of God. It was something that was penned through Paul, but it was divinely presented and inspired. And these words that were of great encouragement to the Roman Christians are intended and in God's plan desired to be great encouragement to us. Words for us today, centuries later, to look back on and to rely on. So let's begin and look at Paul's heart for his mission, and subsequently what he tells his fellow believers in Rome. In Romans chapter 15, verses just three verses this morning, 14 through 16, as we start off this final series in Romans, Paul says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace God has given, excuse me, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit now moment of honesty here it is one of the great mysteries of the universe and especially within scripture that God who has an all important mission to accomplish has handed that mission over primarily to you and me his people it's in our hands with all of our failures, with all of our sinful tendencies, all of our struggles, all of our doubts about others, about ourselves, all of our weaknesses that are revealed, reveal themselves on a daily basis, he has given us this most important of tasks. Reaching the world whom he loves so dearly with the message of the gospel, which is, and by way of summary, that salvation from sin, condemnation, judgment, and ultimately death through faith in and a relationship with Jesus Christ is available to this world. Now, do do I admire God for this decision, or do I think he's crazy? Well, regardless of what I think, Paul has received his orders from God and is giving his life, every part of it, to see this mission accomplished. And we see this as he ventures off in verse 14 when he says, I myself am satisfied about you. I myself am satisfied about you. He's just written this very long theological, practical, this is who God is, this is what you should believe, this is how you should live. And then he says, I myself am satisfied about you. You being the church, being the readers of this letter. Whether you're the, the old school dude who knew me back in Jerusalem or you're the new the, the new servant girl who just joined the church he's not differentiating here who the you is but he says i myself am satisfied about you now these are strong words of affirmation from paul to the believers in rome who much like us probably felt very unsatisfied about themselves as they were trying to survive each day against the hostility and evil all around them in the capital of the roman empire and think about the struggles that we face against knowing our past our decisions, our failures. Imagine what it's like to survive and what it requires of a person to survive in Rome. Most of them poor, an outcast, the occasional person of wealth. but that's who the gospel was for. for everybody, but it was the, the weak, the outcast that most easily could respond because of the humility required. But then after that, how are they supposed to think of themselves? Paul helps them understand that. This is how you should regard yourself. I'm satisfied about you. And that leads us to our first point. Our first point this morning from this passage, and it's this. Every member is a minister. When talking about the kingdom of God and the work of God on this earth, many people believe that that task belongs to pastors like myself, or Matt, or Donnie, as he heads off to serve where God is leading him. But that is is not how the kingdom of God works. This idea of clergy and that they have special responsibility, and only the clergy, the pastor, the minister, the priest, whatever your religious tradition background might have taught you, that in the church there's a special group of people who are closer to God to accomplish work like this, this is not how it was back in Paul's day, but was and is a misinterpretation and misapplication that developed in the church during the Middle Ages. And if you're Catholic or Orthodox turned into the tradition, you've known as the priesthood. As I said, though, this is not how God designed or desired it to be. Rather, the Apostle Peter, of all people, is very clear when he writes this. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what he's done. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you know who Peter's writing this letter to? There's no city reference. He's writing this to just believers. This was written after Romans. This was written when hostility towards Christians in the Roman Empire got even worse. We're talking in the times of Nero. Another emperor emperors where Christianity meant a death sentence in some cases. Shoot, if you believed whether you were old or young, male or female, rich or poor, he's speaking to you. Any living Christian. And he's speaking to us today. Does that include you? <laughs> Are we living Christians this morning? Let's take a look at what he says. Because it's a pretty important list, the bullet points that he goes through. He says, first, you're a chosen race, which means God chose you for a purpose. You're a chosen race. You're a people whom God forethought, I want you on the team. I want you in the family. I don't know your faith story, I don't know how you came about to believe and trust in him, but know this morning that God thought of you before you ever thought of him. And you're here in part, if not in full, because he said, I want you here. That's a big deal. Whatever you you think you may not have to contribute, you were chosen, you were picked. You weren't the last kid sitting on the fence when they're divvying up for kickball, who didn't have a team to go on, no, you were chosen by God. Secondly, a royal priesthood. Royal and priesthood. Not a priesthood, but we are considered royalty in the universe and creation as what we know and that which we don't know, that is which beyond our knowledge. We are a royal priesthood. Not me because I'm a pastor, but we, simply as followers, as true believers in Jesus Christ. Also, he calls us a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you, we, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. That's what Peter tells us about ourselves this morning. Every member is a minister. Regardless of how I feel about ourselves, regardless of our weaknesses, regardless of our failures and mistakes, regardless of our doubts, we are part of God's plan. You are part of God's plan. In the Lord of the Rings story, if you're not familiar, nobody would have thought a hobbit would play the role, a primary role in saving the world, and yet they had the main part. So too you and I are called, drafted, enlisted, commissioned by God into this mission to have a primary role and what it is he wants to accomplish. I didn't grow up thinking this way. I grew up in a pretty formal Baptist church where you called the pastor by his last name. First it was pastor, and then it was last name. And it was, it was just kind of a stuffy type of culture. And the pastor was closer to God, obviously, and almost above reproach. Sadly, our pastor was very much reproached and more or less killed off our church in a matter of a couple decades. I went to the Marines. I had a significant calling from God right before going in, and I, I just felt he was leading me to, to be part. I, I was so thankful for the grace he had shown me in, in Jesus, the transformation of my life, and I wanted to give back. And so in the Marines, I just did what I could. I helped guys. I, I, I tried to rally prayer gatherings. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was trying to, to be a leader, to be a light in the darkness. I got out, I went back to Detroit, and I got connected to a church there. Still just wanting to help, growing in my faith and understanding. And I heard Steve Andrews, who was the lead pastor of the church that I attended, speak some words for the first time. He preached this verse and this message. Every member was a minister. And I didn't quite understand it. I mean, I had enthusiasm, I had some energy, I had some ambition of what I want to do, but not everybody, right? And time and again, he drove home the truth. Every person is called of God for that purpose. And I'm so thankful for that. He taught me and thousands of others to think differently and to believe that God had called you and me normal people sitting in these seats right here to something important in the kingdom of God. And for 30 years, and still going to this day, Steve, through the power of God working in the lives of ordinary people and the church has sent out ministers, missionaries, church plants, established urban mission centers, and much, much more. People are still going out. And I believe in large part because he has preached and believed this truth, that every member is a minister. It's our first point. Let's look again at verse 14. He continues in the verse, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying this, and this is clarified elsewhere, but he says essentially, you have everything you need in this service. You have everything you need. For many people, this is one of the hardest truths to accept and believe. For we live in the world where we've been told of our deficiencies and then our mistakes and failures in life have reinforced these discouraging thoughts and beliefs about the deficiencies that we possess. Who am I? Who are we? What can we really do? What do I really have to offer? I mean, God is God. He's got these great plans. I'm, I'm me. I obviously have no place, no real significant place in this Thing that he's doing. Well, Paul doesn't see it that way. Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct. Paul reminds us of what God knows and believes about us. In Christ, as followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. That is true of each of us here this morning. You have the living God inside of you. Whoever we are or thought we were before we encountered God and believed in Him, it doesn't matter anymore. God does not place His precious Holy Spirit inside of people haphazardly, but rather with purpose and for a purpose. As a follower of a Christ this morning, Paul tells you and me that we are full of goodness, His goodness, filled with all knowledge. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us who will and wants to teach us all things about God as we will seek God for that. And also says that we're able to instruct. Now he's not saying that you and I are all master teachers, but he's not calling us to be master teachers. He's simply saying you possess enough knowledge about God, about how he transformed you from darkness into light to turn around and help somebody who's a step behind you. This year, our kids have done, we homeschool our children, and they've... uh, They've been in various uh, extracurricular activities, but this year uh, I started a speech and debate club for homeschool students uh, here in the Afton area. And while I speak in front of people, I've never had any formal training in debate, and I literally am learning the lesson the week before them. I've got the book, I've got some videos, kind of my own interests, but I'm actually able to get up and do a part in them, and they, they're so grateful. They think I like, know everything, and I simply know the thing they know a week before they know it but I love them, I care for them, I want them to grow. And so you too have the capacity, you're able to teach simply by imparting that which you do know to someone who might be a step or two behind on this journey that doesn't yet know. It's part of the calling. It's part of the promise that we have everything that God wants knows that we need. He says it more specifically in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Peter says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Two important phrases there. His divine power, that's God's power not mine, and secondly, granted us all things necessary that pertain Not everything, but everything that pertains to God, to knowing him, to teaching, to leading. It's there. You and I have everything that we need. Every member and minister, we have everything that we need. And finally, in verse 15, we hear Paul saying the following. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder now, at this point, after affirming them in verse 14, he kind of steps it up a little bit here in verse 15. He takes on the role of a coach or a leader, recognizing that there still is a mission to be accomplished. And any great thing that's going to be accomplished is going to require work. It's going to require accountability. It's going to require what, we, what God has given us. It's all going to also require people outside of us believing in us, helping us, because even though we might possess something, we're human and we're frail. And we fall short or we get discouraged. We face some obstacles and we, ah, I'm tired. We all need leaders in our lives, and that's what Paul is trying to do in the lives of the Roman Christians. We all need people who know us, who love us, who will both encourage us when we are weary and also who will challenge us to push harder when we need to step it up. Now, God's grace is what saves us. We are not stepping up to earn favor from God but you and I know that anything of great value requires labor and toil on our part, and it's no different in advancing this kingdom that God is advancing. Paul deeply loves the Christians at Rome, and because of that, he invests in them, and he cares very deeply about how they are doing in their spiritual journey. You'll see that in the rest of the chapter. It's phenomenal how that reveals itself, but you'll see that in the weeks ahead. He knows following Jesus is hard and tiresome. He also knows that we can sometimes get off course. We can be distracted. We can be misled. But you know what? Paul is committed to them just like God is. He doesn't throw them out because they mess up. He doesn't throw them out because they're not cutting it. He wants them to be encouraged and to have hope. And he wants the same thing for us today. And that's our third point. Our third point Don't give up when adversity comes. And adversity could be an outside force pushing back against you. It could also be something from within, just this feeling of sadness and maybe a depression that you've struggled with in the past that seems to be resurfacing. Something internal, something external. Things will go wrong. Misfortune will occur. Life will present itself to us very, very unfairly at times, and we will be tempted to blame God. And in so doing, overlooking all of the other blessings that he has given to us, continues to give to us, sustains us with each and every day. That's the temptation. That's part of the weariness that we face. And yet God speaks to us like a loving, encouraging father, friend, and coach. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is written by Paul to the believers in the city of Corinth. It's on in the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians 58. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, that is a inclusive brothers and sisters in the original, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now this might just seem like words that I'm reading. These are powerful, sustaining words. I speak to you having stated this verse for going on 20 years or longer. I was encouraged to memorize this verse when I was in the Marines, probably 19 years of age, so that would be almost 25 years now. Be steadfast, immovable. That's not what we're told in society today. We're told to back down. We're told to give in. We're told not to be too much. No, in kingdom advancing work, Paul tells us be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding. Not just doing, but abounding. Kind of think of a jumping, an enthusiasm. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Some of us work, some of us lead a small group, We might not see the people in our small group responding the way we want them to respond. Maybe we're needing to grow in our small group leadership and we're open to that, but at least we're in there serving. Some of you might be ministering to children. You might be teaching them each week. You're not sure if you're a good teacher. You don't know if they're necessarily responding and behaving. Just to name a couple, always abounding in the work in the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. If you are serving, if you are giving, if you are teaching, if you are helping, if you are cleaning, In the name of Jesus, in the spirit of his son, you have confidence to know that nothing you do is in vain. God knows. And we don't get to choose how God uses that to impact the lives of people. You may not see the results you are looking for, and that can be very frustrating. But God is faithful. Every member is a minister. You have everything you need. Don't give up when adversity comes. There's a mission yet to be accomplished. Exactly what your role is, you might not know. I really don't know. But that's part of the joy of this journey, is that not only is it enduring until he comes, and he will come. He's made that promise. Take some steps. Take some chances. Try some new things. Believe in what you aren't naturally going to believe about yourself because God said you should believe in it. And that discovery process, that journey, even the failures, is all part of experiencing God, being humbled, which we all need to be, and trusting more avidly, more fervently in the purpose that God has for us, for this great mission that He's called us to join Him in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this mystery is true. This mysterious fact that you have called messed up folks like myself to accomplish this universe-changing objective. Not just to see millions, if not billions of people redeemed by faith and trust and love for Jesus and the power of the Spirit in them as a result. But undoing the entirety of evil and sin and, and eventually perfecting what has become so corrupt, it will be one of the great moments of creation when you finally bring Redemption and perfection back to this creation. And we have a part to play. We are not insignificant. Help us to see that. Help us to hear these words. I pray your spirit would plant these deep in our hearts. And for the person, the people here who need to hear these, who need to believe these, who need to step out as a result, who realize better this morning than they did last night that there's a mission to be accomplished, Help us to be doers, to take those steps of faith. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for inviting us. It's your grace to us. And for that, we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, we we thank you. And we praise you.